Well, good morning. Welcome and Merry Christmas to all of you here in the Lake Forest Sanctuary, uh, as well as those of you in the 01 service and at Crossroads and at Highland Park. Great to be here with you together as we go through this series called Songs of the Season. We're looking at these different Christmas carols and the meaning that they carry for us each and every time we sing them. If you were with us last week, you know that Pastor Mike kicked off this series by looking at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, reminded us that these weeks leading up to Christmas, what we call the Advent season, are really a season of longing, waiting for the one who would come that we celebrate at Christmas, who is Jesus, the Savior and Lord. Today we're looking at a carol, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, and it's interesting, uh, as I've been just preparing for this message today, I'm surprised at how many times I've heard that carol show up this week, whether it's in a commercial or on Pandora as we're listening to it in the house. Uh, but one of the carols that is sort of in the, the vibe of Christmas um, is something that, that, I don't know about you, but I had not personally thought about the significance behind this carol. Like so many of the carols, it's not just syrupy, Christian-y things that we sing by a fire while we eat fruitcake at Christmas, but it's something that's rooted and steeped in meaning and significance and actually has a timely message for our day today. So that's my hope as we look at this carol today that we'll find that timely message for us. In 1846, United States President James Polk led the United States armies into war with Mexico over the land that is now the state of Texas. Prior to that war, that land had been under the control of Mexico, and this was a hotly contested conflict within the borders of the United States. Uh, There were many who opposed the president's initiative to go to war, among them a young senator named Abraham Lincoln, uh, who was in his early 30s serving in the Senate at the time. There was a strong movement against this war because they saw it as an effort that was not a humanitarian effort. Uh, And many saw the only outcome of this war as expanding slavery, which was already a growing scourge upon our nation in the mid-1800s. Among those who opposed this war was a local pastor in Massachusetts named Edmund Sears. And Mr. Sears served in a congregation there in Massachusetts where uh, this was one of the states that was the earliest to eliminate slavery within their borders. And so there was a strong abolitionist uh, heartbeat in the state of Massachusetts, and this pastor was an active voice in that time. Well, eventually, the nation did go to war. It lasted from 1846 to 1848. And Pastor Sears sort of felt the weight of this in a significant way, along with many others, uh, as it sort of incited this growing conflict over slavery that would ultimately, 12 years later, lead to the outbreak of the Civil War. And so in 1849... Pastor Edmund Sears did what he could to invite people to consider peace in a time of war. And he wrote a poem that has come to be known as It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. And in this poem, he pointed people to an event that happened some 2,000 years prior that he saw as the timely message that people in his day needed to hear And we want to see what that message is, and we're going to begin there this morning. So could I invite you, if you have a Bible with you, uh, or a Bible on your phone or device of some sort, if you would turn to Luke chapter 2, we're going to jump into the middle of the most famous Christmas story that there is. You may know Luke 2 begins with this decree going out from Caesar Augustus that all the nation was to be taxed, and that's what brought Mary and Joseph from their hometown of Nazareth, Nazareth to Bethlehem 
uh, so that they may be counted among the census. And that's, of course, where Jesus was born. And we pick up in the middle of this story in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It tells us this, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. In the poem that eventually became It came upon the midnight clear. Edmund Sears invited his contemporaries to see and experience the peace that was declared by these angels so long ago. The carol unfolds in five stanzas. Uh, One of those stanzas is commonly omitted in hymnals uh, and in places that we find the hymn today. And if you received the card uh, when you came in this morning, it's actually not on the card that we're looking at today. But I don't want to admit it, uh, to omit it this morning because it's part of the flow of the case that is being made in this hymn for peace in a time of war. So we're going to look at five stanzas, not four, and we'll come to that in just a few moments. But the first stanza opens this way, and it tells us this simple message, that the angels sang good news to Israel. The angels sang good news to Israel. And he said it this way, it came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men. From heaven's all-gracious king, the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Now perhaps this local pastor was drawn to this message of peace because the context into which it came in first century Israel was so similar to the context he was experiencing in the mid-1800s in the United States. This was a war-torn day. The Israelites, the Jewish people, were under the oppressive rule of Rome. Prior to that, it was Assyria and Babylon and others. The Jews had long since been waiting for the promised Messiah to come and deliver them from the war and oppression and conflict that had so plagued their nation's history. Their prophets had said, one day this Messiah would come. Prophets like Isaiah, and we find in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7, says things like this. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. And so in singing good news to Israel, this angel announced that the long-awaited Messiah had arrived, the Messiah that would finally bring peace to the nation of Israel. And there's a strong theological statement packed into the angel's message that talks about the identity of Jesus as the one who is uniquely able to bring peace to this troubled nation. 
and we look back at the, the earlier part of the angel's message in Luke 2, and we look in verse 11 as it describes Jesus who was born. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Three titles given to Jesus who was born in that lowly manger, Savior, Christ, and Lord. And each one has significance and meaning and really qualifies him to function in this role of deliverer, of Messiah. To be a Savior is to be one who delivers someone from their enemies. For the nation of Israel, that meant their physical enemies in their understanding, the nation around them, but also, more importantly, their spiritual enemy. Here was a people who had for centuries struggled to uphold the law of God because they had a spiritual enemy within each and every individual called sin that pulled them away from God's ways toward rebellion, toward brokenness, that eventually was their own downfall, both as individuals and as a nation. But this Savior had the power to deliver them from that spiritual enemy as well as every physical enemy. Jesus is also called Christ. And Christ is a New Testament title that is a bringing forward of the Old Testament title, Messiah. And the Messiah had been predicted to reign on the throne of David. King David was the greatest king that the Jewish people had ever known. And it was promised that his heir would one day come and bring that eternal peace through his good rule as king. So when this newborn Jesus was described as the Christ, he was described as the king who would come in line with King David. He would have the authority and power to bring that deliverance as Savior. And then finally, he's called Lord. Literally translated, that's master. It's the one who is to be followed and to guide people in the way. And and this verse, Luke 2.11, is the only place in all of the New Testament where these three titles are brought together in such a compact way to reinforce this message that Jesus Christ is the one who was able uniquely to bring peace to Israel. The angels sang good news to Israel. But the hymn doesn't stop there. It goes on to stanza two, where that message of peace, that good news message that the angels sang to Israel is extended to all. Because in fact, the angels sing good news for everyone. And Edmund Sears put it this way. He said, still through the cloven skies they come with peaceful wings unfurled. And still, their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lowly plains, they bend on hovering wing, and ever o'er its babble sounds, the blessed angels sing. The message that the angels proclaimed of deliverance through Jesus Christ was not reserved only to the Jewish people or the Israelites. It was a message that extends and extends today to all who will come and believe in Jesus, receive him as their deliverer, their king, and their master. The book of Acts, which is the accounting of the early church and the message going out to all the world, in chapter 10, we read this. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. 
And so in the book of Acts, we're brought to this very same message. The good news of peace for Israel is extended to all who would fear God and do what is right. And so in two simple statements, we have the rich theology on which this Christmas carol stands. The angels sang good news to Israel. The angels sing good news for everyone. Now, if you're paying attention to that quote from the book of Acts, you saw that this message of peace is available to anyone who fears God and does what is right. And so that raises the question, well, what does it mean to do what is right? How can I do what is right? How can you do what is right and therefore receive this message of peace? Well, later on in that same passage, we find this quote. It says, all the prophets testify about him. That everyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So to do what is right according to the New Testament is to believe in Jesus. Believe in the one who has the message and the power of peace and to receive forgiveness of sins. See, those ancient Israelites weren't the only ones who had a spiritual enemy. You and I have a spiritual enemy as well that would pull us away from believing in God, fearing him, and finding forgiveness for our sins. And so the invitation is open for us to receive that peace today. And I think it's a timely question, especially at Christmas time, when we're so focused on the message of Jesus Christ, that you and I would ask ourselves, do I believe Have I received this forgiveness for my sins? If you've never taken that step in your own personal spiritual journey, you could do that today in the sincerity of your own heart between you and God. You could do that this Christmas season by communicating three simple things to God. You recognize your own sin and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God, for the sins that I have committed in my life that have drawn me away from you and created a separation. You could say to God, thank you for sending Jesus to be the deliverer from my spiritual enemy. Thank you that he was born and then died on the cross, the penalty that I deserve. And then you could communicate, please send your Holy Spirit to come and live within me. Change me from the inside out so that I might begin to follow after Jesus as my Lord, as my master. If you've never communicated those things to God in a personal way between you and him, this can be the season where you receive forgiveness of your sins, receive the gift of peace that comes through Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, there's no greater Christmas gift that could be given than the gift of life and peace through Jesus Christ. It's hearing the good news that the angels sing to you of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So then Edmund Sears, this pastor, goes on, and the following stanzas apply this theology that he's laid out in the first two stanzas. They apply this good news that the angels have sung. Now, this next stanza is the one that's not on the card uh, that you're holding in front of you, but I'm going to read it extra slow so that we can sort of take this in together. 
And he says, even though the angels have sung, yet with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel strain have rolled 2,000 years of wrong. And man, at war with man, hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, you men of strife, and hear the angels sing. He says, even though the angels sang and continue to sing this message of good news, of peace, for 2,000 years, men have been at war with one another, deaf to this song, not hearing this song. And this stanza could have just as easily been written in 2017 as it was in 1849. We look around, we could think of conflicts in Syria, in Iraq, in Turkey, throughout the Middle East and Northern Africa. We could think of tensions in North Korea. Interestingly, I saw an article this week that lists a conflict between the United States and Mexico as among the top 10 conflicts in our day. How timely is this message? Not to speak of terrorism and acts of violence both locally and globally. The need is great for our world to hear the good news of peace that the angels sing. And what I find interesting is the last line of that stanza where he says, Oh, hush the noise, you men of strife, and hear the angels sing. His solution to the problem of the 2,000 years of wrong is to speak to what he calls the men of strife. And he says, hush the noise so that you can hear the angels sing. I thought about how, how can I paraphrase that in a way that would capture our attention uh, in this day. And my best attempt is this. I think he's saying something like this. Hey, troublemakers, those of you who are always stirring up conflict and strife, troublemakers, be quiet so you can hear the angels sing. Who are the troublemakers? Who are the troublemakers in our world today? I think most of us find it easy to point the finger at someone else as the troublemaker that's causing all these problems, especially when we think of wars and conflicts nationally and globally. It's easy to point our finger at public figures and call them the troublemakers and cast blame on those men and women of strife who are leading our world into all of this wrong. And sometimes our judgments are right. Sometimes there are those kinds of troublemakers, and we're invited to pray for them. 1 Timothy 2.2 says, We should pray for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So there are troublemakers that we are called to pray for. But I think a helpful exercise is for us to think a little bit more deeply and a little bit more personally and ask ourselves some personal questions like, am I a troublemaker more than I am a peacemaker? What kind of noise are you making in your little corner of the world? Are you stirring up strife? Are you stirring up conflict? in the words and actions that characterize you at home, with your family, 
in your workplace with your coworkers, even in the church? Are you a troublemaker? Am I a troublemaker? Or am I a peacemaker? And I think we're invited to hush the noise, to be quiet, so that we can hear the angels sing, peace, peace, peace. Stanza 4 speaks to a different group. He's applied this message of peace to the, the men of strife, the troublemakers of the world. But then he goes on and he applies it to a different group that he sees in view. And this is stanza three on the card that, that you have, the common stanza three that we sing these days, but it's actually stanza four of the original carol. And it goes like this. And you, beneath, beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, Look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Stanza 4 says, weary people, rest. And hear the angels sing. So Edmund Sears had experienced challenges in his own personal life. Not long before he wrote this carol, he had come out of a seven-year post as pastor of a church that was a troublesome time in his life that left him wounded and broken. And I know that some of you find that hard to believe that a pastor, you know, could have real problems, but he did. And he came out of that post struggling, weary, burdened. He had also experienced significant health issues in his life in these recent years. And so he had a heavy load to carry. And so do some of us. Some of us, frankly, have a heavy load to bear in this life. And you're weary. Your form is bending low. The steps seem slow and painful. If that's you, you're invited to hear, rest, you weary. And hear the angels sing, peace, peace peace. I love this image of resting beside that weary road, of, of taking a few steps off to the side so that we can catch our breath, be revived and encouraged by hearing of the good news that the angels sang of peace through Jesus Christ. But as much as Pastor Sears had endured struggles in his own personal life, I, I think he had a greater weariness in view. Given his heart and passion and zeal for the cause of slavery in his day, I have to think when he writes about the weary, he's thinking of the three million plus individuals who were living under the yoke of slavery in mid-19th century America. And these phrases, forms bending low, painful, weary, slow steps would be apt descriptions of those who were living under those conditions. And so stirring hearts with compassion for the oppressed, this carol, this poem, it came upon the midnight clear, might well be viewed as a freedom song, as an abolitionist hymn, as much as anything. 
And that would be an appropriate characterization because it appeals to the birth of Jesus and the message of peace because Jesus himself was indeed the ultimate abolitionist. He's the one who came to set men and women free from the yoke of slavery to sin that grapples each and every one of us. And so it's a freedom song. It's an abolitionist carol. And I think you and I would do well to take on some of this spirit in our day. There were three million plus slaves in the United States at that time. According to organizations like the International Justice Mission, there are 40 million plus people in slavery globally today. 40 million in the world that we live in today. How relevant is this message to us And I think it would be a timely call for each of us to take up whatever cause that you and I could. Pastor Sears wrote a poem that wound up calling people to peace. What can you and I do? We can certainly pray. We can pray for peace. We can pray for freedom in our day. We could also find ways to to partner with organizations like International Justice Mission and others, doing what we can to be messengers of peace, messengers of freedom for those who are the weariest among us in the world today. This carol calls us to rest, you weary people, and hear the angels sing. So far, we've seen how the angels sang good news to Israel. Their Messiah had come. We've seen how the angels sing good news to everyone who will believe in him and do what is right, finding forgiveness of sins. We've seen it applied to the troublemakers of this world, and it says, troublemakers, be quiet and hear the angels sing. And we've seen this word of encouragement to the weary. It says, weary people, rest and hear the angels sing. And stanza five points us to the hope that brings confidence and certainty to everything that has come before it. It came upon the midnight clear, closes this way. It says, for lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old. When with the ever circling years shall come the time foretold when the new heaven and earth shall own the prince of peace, their king. And the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. Stanza 5 says, Hear the angels, because the Prince of Peace is coming. Whether we're troublemakers or weary or something else, hear the angels' message of good news, because the Prince of Peace himself is coming. And this is the great hope of all of us who know Jesus as our King. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will return to earth, not as a baby in a lowly stable, but as a king riding on a victory horse, leading his armies into battle to bring peace and righteousness to the heavens and to the earth forevermore. It's a future reality for those of us who know Jesus as our king and believe the message that the angels brought. And that 
future is as good as done in the words of the prophet where he says he will come and bring peace and righteousness from that time and forevermore. And it's because there will be a perfect kingdom of peace for eternity that you and I can find peace today. Eternity does change everything. You and I can see today and tomorrow and this year through different eyes because the Prince of Peace is coming to establish this perfect kingdom. It will bring perfect rest for the weary, perfect peace from war, perfect relationship with him for eternity. And so we're invited today, you and I, to hear the angels sing because the Prince of Peace is coming. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for the message that you sent us through those angels so long ago. Thank you for the good news that they sang of Jesus Christ who can set us free, who can bring us rest, who will one day establish peace. Thank you for this message. And I pray that you would drive it deep down in our minds and in our hearts each and every time we hear this carol throughout this season. Call us not only to receive peace, but to be ambassadors of peace in the corner of the world where you have placed us. And we ask this in the strong name of our Savior, who is Christ the Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.